0: They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially, no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
1: Welcome to well, that old Queen? A candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age. So please listen at your own discretion. Presented by Bernie and Tommy, the views here are purely those of the content providers and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this program on. Now, please at your ears be upstanding for the (coughs) old queens. Hi, Tommy.
2: Hi there. How are you doing? I've just got two messages on Grindr from France. (laughs) Oh, bonjour. I know. Um, I think think they've opened gates and you can now go worldwide. That's cool. Are you
1: you going international? It seems so. Do you like a bit of French? I think we all do. And also, we have a special guest again this week.
2: Who, up until recently, had a very big part in the West End.
1: Yes. Um, In the Only Fools and Horses, the musical. Welcome to the show, the lovely, funny Peter Baker.
3: Hello, thank you for having me.
1: (laughs) Oh, you sounded very posh there.
3: It's a joy to be here. I know, this is my podcast voice. He is
1: posh. <laughs> is he? No, oh. it's, all
3: learning. it's all learning. He's not like us.
1: No, he's, yeah. I mean, after a couple more glasses of wine, I'm sure, you know, he'll be slipping his P's and Q's like the rest of us.
3: Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think that I was half... Nor- yeah, my mum's a northerner and my dad's from Jamaica, but the, the teacher at school said if Peter's serious about drama, he really needs elocution lessons. So that's how I ended up sounding the way I do. Really? Elocution? Yeah. People, yeah, people, when they came to my house, they used to think it, I was joking because they thought I lived in some manner. Because I used to talk incredibly poshly and I would say things like, oh, gracious. Um, <laughs> and then they were like... <laughs> like, oh, you live here. Yeah.
1: Well, I had a similar childhood because I, I always say I'm, I was a bit like Stewie Griffin, whereas because I, I talked like this, but the rest of my family talked like that. So, yeah... I used to get called posh and perf and everything when I was younger because of my voice as well. But I didn't have elocution lessons. I just had my mum smacking me every time I dropped my P's and Q's.
2: I have a similar experience to like because I had elocution lessons. And my parents always say, we spend all that money on elocution lessons and all you can say is your computer. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard
1: you say um, your computer like that before. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Peter, you've you've gone from the Dizzy Heights of improvisational theatre, closer each day in Bristol, Murder She Didn't Write, which was hilarious, uh which is toured all around the country, to the West End. How did that feel?
3: Uh it felt quite surreal to be honest. I mean, when I was auditioning, uh so I auditioned for the workshop. They had a 2-week workshop back when they were making the show, and I that's what I was auditioning for. So I knew I was auditioning for something related to Only Fools and Horses. I had no clue it was a musical, nor of the size of the project or calibre of, you know, some of the people involved, well, all the people involved, um, Paul Whitehouse, who was writing it. So I thought I was auditioning for um, an immersive dining experience. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was great because it meant I wasn't nervous. So I, I turned up because I couldn't quite understand why... I had got in the room in the first place and I thought well it's got to be because of the improv and actually the only reason I got because if you straighten my hair and I look a bit glum apparently I look a lot like uh the great Roger Lloyd Pack who originally played Trigger so yes I did the two-week workshop and then I thought potentially that could just be the end of it but no then I'm singing on the West End stage and you can Listen to me on Spotify now, Ooh. on the cast soundtrack. I should have so lined yes, that up. It's... Oh, we should have, shouldn't we? <laughs>
2: Can you tell us what you, what song you auditioned with?
3: Yes, so I, was, I only realised a couple of days beforehand that I had to sing anything. So uh, my thought process was, what is a song with a Cockney accent? And the first one that came to mind was, all I want is a room somewhere, you know. <laughs> my fair lady <laughs> amazing um, at which i think they were a, yeah they were a bit non at my choice because obviously it is a woman's song they're equally nonplussed that i turned up with no sheet music because i didn't realize it was a proper it was a proper show but i thankfully my improv brain allowed me to respond very quickly that that's what i felt was in trigger's brain was at the end of the day all he wants is a nice room to sit somewhere so I think they thought I'd made a very informed decision, but um, actually it was just
2: because it was a Cockney accent, and
3: I got the words wrong, which I think is very trigger.
2: And in, in this current situation that we're in, actually, all us, all that's all we have got. <laughs> bring somewhere.
3: Exactly. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> I think what's great about the show is that we've we've had people come who've never been to the theatre before, and a lot of people who do come, and, and, and it's. I think because the show means so much to them and, well, to so many of us, you know, you've got memories of your childhood and so forth. I think they do feel like they are at home when watching it. Obviously, I've no idea what it is like to watch the show because I'm always in it. Mm. But I have had friends come and say that it's it's an atmosphere unlike any other they've had in the
2: theatre. I watched it. I came to see you. And I watched it from the lighting box. And what what was really interesting and what struck me is, like, the audience were made of people, made up of people that felt very much like characters from Only Fools and Horses itself. Like, it really felt like it was playing to... It found its audience.
3: Yes, I think... um, I mean, really, if you think about it, what shows the moment in the West End, what musicals feature Londoners or British people, a lot of them, it's, you know, it's American stories or... And the show was massive, wasn't it? It, I
1: mean, it just has so much love kind of nationally.
3: Yeah, it's huge. I think it was, I think the biggest episode was something like 25 million, which is huge. I mean, you wouldn't get that now.
1: No. Are you going outside?
3: Yeah. (laughs) I was just closing, sorry, I was closing the door because I had the door open and then suddenly people were skateboarding and things like that, which was becoming quite irritating. So.
1: So West End is closed now because of the pandemic. Yes.
3: Do, are you
1: hoping that the show will reopen afterwards?
3: or I think everyone is hoping, including the producers, that the show will reopen. There are some shows that have unfortunately just decided to terminate and then there's so waitress which opened at the same time as us. But obviously we don't know when that will be and the longer we are off the more complicated the return but obviously you know you'll have to re-rehearse probably just to because you know if we haven't if we don't do the show for three months we're you know it's very easy to forget certain things so the hope is that it will be back and I think certainly the demand for the show it was selling fantastically and I think we were lucky in some way because you had so many people would come massive fans of the show would be worried that we weren't giving a faithful performance or that it was going to be disappointing and non-fans of the show were coming thinking they wouldn't enjoy it so actually most people who came to see it I think left the theatre being really surprised and having had a great time so word of mouth has been very good so I think the goal is to come back but we don't know when.
1: No well none of us know when we can go back outside. Yet. No, <laughs> So. No. So how are you keeping ticking over during lockdown? Are you you working out any online performance pieces or anything like that?
3: Yes, I think actually it's been, um, it's quite an interesting time because, of course, you know, a lot of the people that I've worked with in Bristol, we're all suddenly finding ourselves unable to, you know, be going out and working. So a lot of the creative projects that people have had gestating for a while uh, coming to the fore and then... For example, with Closer Each Day or Murder, She Didn't Write, both the two different improvised shows. I mean, we're looking at ways that we can continue to rehearse together and perform and give something to our audiences who are unable to see us. So it's been it's been creatively quite stimulating i think and i'm also rehearsing with um possibly a show with one of the finest performers of our generation someone who i look up to and admire enormously the the great inimitable tommy marshman
2: thank you very much
1: are you going to reveal what this project is or are you going to keep it under wraps
2: i don't know I what need to think. To, we need to get some some clearance before we can probably talk about it yes okay
1: All right. So anyway, Peter is going to stay with us throughout our shenanigans for this episode. So we'll move on to what that really old queen. Who have you got for us this week, Tommy?
2: If I said to you, um, oh, my hair needs washing. Or if I said, what a gay day. Or if I said, seems like a nice boy. (laughs) Or if I said, shut that door. What would you say?
1: Is it my (laughs) mum?
2: It's it's the mainstay of television light entertainment in the 70s and 80s, Larry Grayson. Oh, I love Larry Grayson. Yeah, so last week we had Frederick the Great, so I thought I'd make it a bit more current this week with um something from our sort of our youth really, Larry Grayson. My friend texted me and said, "I think you should watch a documentary on ITV about Larry Grayson because he reminds me very much of of me, which I didn't think was a huge compliment, but um, after watching the documentary and reading up a bit more about Larry, I can actually see what she was talking about. Well, can I just say um, that because... I've
1: described um, doing this podcast a bit like doing a podcast with Larry Grayson, and that that is a compliment to other people, not to you. But it's <laughs> but that's a huge compliment because I love him. So you know,
2: <laughs> well, he was famous really, because he couldn't dance, he couldn't sing, and yet he worked those two things into his routine. He was fostered and adopted, he was adopted and, and, and lived in Nuneaton, um, which is quite a poor, which was a poor morning um, mining town and then sort of made his way gradually to be part of a routine in working men's clubs with a neighbour and they did a sort of musical comedy thing. And then slowly he developed his own material. And he performed two acts of a night in a variety a night. One act as a woman in drag, you know, like a drag woman, where he wouldn't wear a wig. He would just have his short, he would have his kind of hair and he would do it up a bit like a kind of Liza Minnelli in Cabaret. And then he would come on at the end in a suit, like a bit like Danny LaRue, as we were talking about, like making sure that there was a, a differentiation between um, genders. Uh, but ensuring thus, and this is why I really like him, is that he had two acts so he could get paid twice. <laughs>
1: that's brilliant that, that's he sounds like my kind of guy um i mean it's I
2: think it's a top tip for all of us it <laughs> totally. is inspired
1: i didn't know he did drag because that was never part of his tv career really was it
2: no i mean this is this is way way before tv i mean he worked for decades before he made it into tv um he eventually he developed his own stand-up routine and it was really about very much observational humour. And it came from in his neighbourhood, he was the only household that had a telephone. So all, it, all the neighbours would come in and put a, put some money in a jam jar and use the telephone. And so we'd listen to all these people talking about different characters um, from the lounge. You'd be listening uh, to the people on the telephone in the Um, hallway and this is where he sort of developed all these characters like once once a week nora um (laughs) apricot Lil, Lil, who worked in the jam jar factory baker self the baker self-raising fred (laughs) (laughs) everred i mean i can remember him talking about everred i remember Um, him
1: talking about everard
2: everard yeah And so sort of doing all the working men's clubs and that kind of circuit, eventually in the 1950s, he got picked up by an agent who escalated his career. But not to a huge extent. He was still just doing a kind of like once a night kind of working men's club kind of circuit until eventually he just got more and more successful kind of through working his way up. I mean, he was quite often just sort of on the bottom. But finally, he managed to make it to the London Palladium. And reportedly, he was earning like £75 a week. And then finally, in his sort of heyday, he was earning more like 75000 a week.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. And I thought that he was a really good person to talk about in What That Really Old Queen, because actually, he only became successful when he was in his 50s. Mm. So. Still
1: hope for us, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> definitely still hope. Um, I love Larry Grayson, and that story about him being the only, like his parents having the only telephone in the street. That was exactly the same as my house in the seventies. We used to have all the neighbours come round um, to use the telephone. It's crazy, and the weird thing is, is that that people were real characters back then. There seemed to be less real characters. Mm. Now uh, than there were back then. You know, there, there would be the Everards and, you know, Fagash Lil. <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> all, all the other yeah. people that he, he made up and put into his routine. Peter, have you been exposed to Larry Grayson? Is this why you're gay?
3: Uh, well, I have to I I think there are probably many reasons as to why I'm gay. <laughs> um, I, I will confess that I did just, I did just do a quick Google image search on my phone to double-check Larry Grayson, and I have to reveal a big gap in my knowledge here. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm finding this all very educational.
1: Good. That's why we're here. Yeah. I mean, I think unless you grew up in the 70s, you probably wouldn't know who Larry Grayson was, to be honest.
3: Well, of course, as you know, I'm I'm far, far younger than both of you.
1: <laughs> you bitch! You look younger. You're yeah, not that I, much younger.
2: I, yeah. <laughs> acting aid My acting aids. When he got famous, like the first thing that he bought um, was a white Rolls Royce. Oh, what was the first thing that you bought when you got your big part in the West End show? Cocaine?
3: Uh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't i think the I, I i don't think i bought anything massive but what i did notice is that i suddenly became far more generous when out with friends they let me get this so i started being the person who gets the drinks or the meal i think years of um of uh hanging out with friends who were earning more than me who took pity on me and would provide me with you know a few scraps went out uh, i feel i feel i've been doing payback yeah
2: nice
1: I felt that when I when I started making money as well. Obviously, that's all changed now because of uh, COVID-19. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I used to like to be generous with friends <laughs> and projects. Um, mm. What else drew you to Larry Grayson, Tommy?
2: Neville Gordon. Do you know her?
1: Oh, yes. Meg Mortimer from Crossroads. Do you know there's <laughs> someone who set up Meg Mortimer account on Facebook, which I've Subscribe to and it's hilarious and it's very camp because they use modern day scenarios with all the old characters from crossroads but yeah meg yeah, mortimer she, i mean huge gay yeah. icon
2: yeah she was um they, they often partnered her with larry as a sort of like almost pseudo heterosexual couple but obviously that was not the case my cousin was in crossroads really um so i was like quite interested in um there well i'm always curious about a heterosexual uh, a heterosexual woman and a gay man's fran- friendship and how that plays out you could really see how that would really work with those two there's a story that i love about the, the white rolls royce and that he larry couldn't drive um so he would always he would recruit very handsome chauffeurs and why wouldn't drive you drive him around? Well, you would, wouldn't you? Of course. Um, and in the, in the club compartment, he always carried um, salt and vinegar because, it, in, case, <laughs> in case they stopped off for chips on the way home from the gig. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: How often do you stop off for chips, Peter, on the way home from a gig?
3: Far more frequently than you would imagine, (laughs) uh, particularly if I've had a fair amount of wine. So I did get to a point probably about four months into the show, actually maybe less, three months in. Obviously we're all, you know, you're, you're measured and you're fitted for costumes and there's a particular suit that I wear that's quite an iconic suit that was made for me. And probably after about two months I said to my dresser, um, I asked her how often she was washing the jeans because I thought they were getting a little bit snug. And she just said, it's not the jeans, babes. <laughs> so, <laughs> one of the biggest shocks about doing this show is um, I, I'm not that used to actually seeing myself so often. And then, you know, every day you're in a dressing room with mirrors. I'm sharing with the guy who plays Uh, Rodney, who's 25, so we're talking, you know, this is a good, my maths is terrible, 17 years, 18 years younger than me, and I've got an expanding waistline. So, um, yes, I think my self-esteem took a bit of a hit and I realised I needed to actually do some exercise. So that's what I indulged in. I got a personal trainer for a while. Oh. And then after a while I said, for the rest of the sessions, can you just give me massages?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you would, wouldn't you? Because I
3: hated it. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me.
1: Um, Peter, you're ridiculously spelt, So uh, I don't think you've got anything to worry about. Oh, stop. I, on the other hand, are good cape and lined, So,
3: So <laughs> long as I can fit into my costume, that's the main thing.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, and on that note, um, shall we do a little uh, snack out of it before the break? So snack out of it is slightly redundant because we're not together to taste uh, exotic foods. Um, but I want to talk about milk alternatives now. Have either of you dipped your toe into a milk alternative or two?
3: Yes, I've I've certainly dipped my toe. I'm quite uh, I'm I'm one of those I, I'm I'm a sucker for any new product on the shelf, so I will try it. And I have made my own rice milk once. Oh, how did you do that? that was- Oh it was far more involved than it needed to be. If I can recall, I think it was after it was after coming back. I'd had it in Colombia and I really liked it and I came back and I tried to make it and I think you seep you you soak the rice for something like 10 or 12 hours and then maybe you blend it. I can't really recall. This this was a good 10 years ago that I tried it but.
1: Wow, making your own is it on on a whole other level. What about you, Tommy?
2: I mean, I've dipped my toe in. Apple alternatives are hard to avoid, really, but I, I, don't have an, I don't have a problem with milk, so I just go for it, really. Uh, you go for milk? Yeah, yeah, I always go for the real milk.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I, so I was thinking of in these kind of lockdown times where people have been kind of stockpiling and thinking about things which last a little bit longer than milk, although there's plenty of milk on the shelves out there. I started using milk alternatives a couple of years ago, because of a health condition and um i started off on almond milk but i really love uh oat milk oat milk is amazing in coffee and and it's a much more environmentally friendly alternative but what i wanted to talk about today is a milk alternative called sprout and it's made out of peas
3: i've heard about this but i've not tried it tell me more
1: um well actually it tastes all right but it froths up really well in my milk frother because I'm all about, you know, a latte, especially you now I can't go to. Um, in- I think-
2: oh, did you say it was called Proud?
1: Pr- Sproud.
2: Oh, Sproud. I it was yeah. Sproud. Uh,
1: I thought it was called Sprout originally. Uh, I'm not up for Sprout milk. I don't like Sprouts at, at the best of times. But no, it's called Sprout and it's made out of peas. It's all right, I think, as a last resort. Bizarrely, I bought six cartons of it in lockdown um Mm -hmm. but i'm using i'm using it in between oat milk to try and wean myself onto it 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 doesn't taste as creamy it just tastes a little bit nothing whereas i think i I would
2: imagine it's very easy to make um oat milk yeah i think you just put it in a muslin bag oats and then soak it overnight in water and then you're left with some oaty water really which is oat milk oh right
1: i don't know i've never made it sounds about right I haven't made alternative milk myself so maybe i'll look into it if i can find an oat milk recipe i'll stick it up on the website on our blog how about that for our listeners you get so much for your sounds like
2: a treat (laughs) um i think we'll be very grateful
1: right and on that note we are going to go for a short break and we'll be back after this Right, so we're back after the break. Tommy, you wanted to say a little bit more about Larry Grayson, didn't you?
2: Well, we missed out his sort of heyday, which was the Generation Game, which is what I remember him on, Yeah. Um, with the lovely Isla and Claire. Yes, um, and that was really kind of like his moment where he was a real household name, and, and like loads of people loved him and. The idea of him being gay was not really... Everyone just thought that he was camp and fun. They didn't actually perceive him as a sexual being, which he wasn't really... He was much more of an asexual person, but with a with a very camp sensibility, I guess. So he did that for a long time, took over Bruce Forsyth, and that was a completely... Um, different move for the BBC to take out, like for him to take over that um, show. And he did that. And then after, I think he made the very difficult decision for that to finish and hoped that there would be new projects come around and no real projects really came after that. He did like lots of pantos and guest spots, but that kind of signified really um, his kind of decline into um not being on the telly so much and he moved to Torquay, which it seemed like he absolutely hated, and then oh. moved back to moved back to um Nuneaton, which seemed like his favourite place to be in the world. Um and and then finally was invited back to the London Palladium to do a royal ride and kind of did a show which didn't quite hit the mark. Right. And it was like people were watching him saying this isn't really how we want to remember him, and right. then sadly, you know, he died a couple of months later.
1: Oh, that's a shame because he was an ideal choice for um, the Generation Game after Bruce Forsyth. He was brilliant in that,
2: but well, how it was described was like the fact that he would he was he was so chaotic and he didn't he didn't follow the rules and he was really hard to kind of keep into a kind of. Organised structure, so that's why the lovely Isla Sinclair became much more significant in that show because she would hold the whole thing together, right. and then he was allowed to just do a lot of ad libbing with the um, with the with the with the guests and the audience, and that's where he really excelled.
1: Yeah, totally. And that I think that's why I think that's why he reminds me of you because I have got no structure. <laughs> no, because you're very good at that. You like you like a bit of
3: chaos, don't you? I do
2: love chaos. Yeah, yeah, love
3: chaos. I do think that's one of the great things about live theatre, especially if there's an element of uh, freedom or improvisation or audience interaction. I think those are often the moments that are. Uh, most thrilling,
1: yes. That's yeah. the performer. Yeah, beauty of live shows, isn't it? Yeah,
3: um, really they're
1: like the it. sort of things which I hated when I first started performing, because I'm such a perfectionist, which is why I've always loved kind of recorded media and film and radio. But actually, uh, mm. the more that My I, did, the more I did it, the more I. I kind of relish that and the fact that the performance was different every night because the audience was different every night. They're like the ex-member of the cast and they completely yeah. create the atmosphere and the energy in the room and how how everyone on stage will perform,
2: really. And this is what is feels quite difficult for me to get my head around at the moment in the sense that a lot of people are talking about putting their work online and then you do really miss that vital component of like how you actually engage in the live moment and that banter mm. with the audience even if it's a, even if it's a set show you know there's still so many nuances that you have when it's live definitely and
3: i think the the lack of having any sort of audio or performing something that you are used to performing in front of an audience means that it, I think it affects the quality of the work that you're doing and it ends up almost feeling like a, a sort of strange shadow of what you would set out to do. Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, hopefully we can... We have a little bit of that spontaneity on this show because we have a very loose structure. <laughs>
3: well, loose is always a word I've used to describe you, Bernie.
1: <laughs> well, it's a very good word to describe me um anyway um so we're gonna move on to uh what that old kink uh this is inspired by an article from list verse uh and i'm not going to go through the whole things but it's 10 parts in the history of kinky sex and it goes through from kind of prehistory cave paintings in prehistory depicting genitalia and sexual acts uh apparently there's one in france of a bisexual threesome where the woman is being spanked whilst pleasuring two guys. It's so, interesting. You, yeah, everyone, everyone back then was doing the kinky stuff uh, like they are now.
2: Have we got images that we can see of that?
1: I don't know. I'll, I'll do a bit of research, see if I can put some stuff on Instagram. But from there it moves on to Egypt, uh, where there were lots of hieroglyphs depicting bestiality, and sexual acts as well. Uh, and it, ha- it, it kind of quotes an interesting story about Cleopatra, who had a very unorthodox sex toy. I oh, like
3: the way you say Cleopatra. I know, I want, I, want, I want that as my ringtone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I do Cleopatra how Kenneth Williams would do Cleopatra. So <laughs> she had a very unorthodox sex toy, which was a vibrator, filled with bees. So it was a phallic-shaped object hollowed Ooh. out and filled with live bees causing it to vibrate.
3: That's incredibly innovative.
1: Right?
2: And the bees were never released.
1: Well, I'm, I imagine they might release them afterwards if they're still alive. But um, mm. you know, she'd probably have some scantily clad nubile slave to do that for her.
3: I mean, that would be a lot of pretty moors, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> just multiple little deaths inside
1: yeah while um she's having her own. while she's having her own petty <laughs> more
2: <laughs> yes i mean i've got a couple of ties around here in this flat i wonder whether i could carve out a carrot and do something similar you,
1: you think about the di- well you know we're all on in lockdown you know if you can't afford a vibrator maybe flies or bees are an option I probably wouldn't go for wasps.
2: I did put my vibrator in the dishwasher, like you recommended. <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah.
1: And how did the dishwasher like that?
2: The dishwasher seemed fine, but I wasn't. But then I realised that when I took it out, I didn't know whether I was supposed to take the batteries out.
1: Um, I don't think I suggested the vibrator. It was a dildo that I suggested, which isn't which has no electrical parts.
2: Well, it's a. I call it a dildo, but maybe it is a vibrator then it's a vibrator
1: yeah uh, it's a vibrator i i I, w- I wouldn't i wouldn't put that in the dishwasher
3: <laughs> i just just want to say i've been to dildo Where's, where is
1: dildo? dildo
3: in newfoundland Oh wow. uh, it, there was a small small village called dildo and my uh late grandmother lived in newfoundland and uh she and my aunt Decided when I visited when I was fifteen that we'd have a little tour of the island, and one of the towns we drove through was Dildo, which uh, has left a lasting impression on me. I bet.
2: And is it related to the dildo that we all know and love? Did they invent it? uh, uh,
3: It it isn't. And I'm. I'm I. uh, I, I, There is. What's his name? I think is it Seinfeld or or Larry? One of one of those um, American. American Comics, who presents a TV show in America. He uh, he recently became obsessed with Dildo, the town, and started uh, creating a lot of fake news saying that dildos were from there. And I think uh, the dil, dil, Dildoans, dildo, Dildodians, I'm not sure oh. what you'd say, the residents uh, got a little bit upset with it because um, they're they're tired of tourists stopping to take pictures in front of the sign saying Dildo.
1: Is there a big phallic kind of statue in no. dildo?
3: They're doing everything they can to distance themselves. That mm. iteration of dildos.
1: I mean, if I were, th- if I was the mayor of dildo, I'd be kind of milking it for all it's
3: worth, right? Yes, good, good <laughs> choice of verbs Then. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: I mean, to be fair, they're not doing everything, are they? they could no, change the name. No. They could change the name. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah,
1: I think the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the Egyptians. Mm. And in keeping with their death worship, they frequently practiced necrophilia. Assyrius, um, the god, was destroyed and cut up by Set. And Isis, the goddess, collected his parts. I think she was actually his sister. Um mm. And put him back together, but his penis wasn't up to scratch. So she created a new one and had sex with the recreated corpse. This myth permeated the sexually liberal culture where virginity was unheard of and never mentioned.
2: I know about that one because my friend Catherine Hoffman made a show about it. Did she? Yeah. It's right up her cul de <laughs>
1: Um, anyway, uh, shall we move on to the Greeks? Because we're it... yes, <laughs>
3: I'd
1: love to. <laughs> so, group group sex in Greece not limited to ancient paintings of threesomes. It was renowned for its debauchery and rampant homosexuality. The Greek society and extreme acts of group sex were common throughout the Greco-Roman culture so much so it was frequently depicted on olive oil pots which was their main export so imagine <laughs> imagine going around the super le supermarché um, and uh, getting your olive oil and there's a depiction of some group sex on it
3: i'd like to live in world i mean i think there would be some mass bulk buying there
1: <laughs> definitely to <laughs> yeah. Especially- get the toilet roll let's <laughs> Let's buy the group sex uh, olive oil. You know it it fulfills two roles as well because obviously you can use olive oil as a lubricant for a group sex party as well if you're so inclined.
2: Very true. <laughs> I've got three bottles of olive oil at the moment. Have you? Have you?
3: It's one light and the other extra virgin.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I don't think they're all of the same virgin level.
3: Mm. I mean, well, not... that's like all of us three, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
1: Also, I'm not sure they'd be using that marketing technique for extra virgin olive oil back then um, if they're having group sex on the label. Anyway, we'll Nick's move... messages. messages. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the gay world, we have plenty of those, honey. Um, oh, don't we? Um, Caligula, we'll move on to Rome. The Caligula Roman Emperor... Was very debauched. Incest, homosexuality, and murdering people during sex. Slaves or soldiers, he had sex with whomever he wanted and in any way that he wanted. He also had two party boats. This is the bit that I love. Reserved for wine fueled orgies. These boats had a capacity of up to 2,000 people. He was definitely having more fun than most of us right now in
2: lockdown right that wouldn't work with social distancing <laughs> no it wouldn't
3: you'd need a very big boat well you know i guess they
1: were they were pretty big if you could fit 2000 people on them i mean that's massive when you think of Does, those times you think of them being quite primitive in- and like boats being quite small but that would have been a massive boat if 2000 people could get on there and have a debauched orgy
3: I mean, I, 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 I have to make you know. Well, no, I was, I was going to make a semen pun, but <laughs> I'm, I'm too good for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, but we're not. So carry on. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of semen. Anyway, the the list goes on. I'll put the link in the uh, description of the show so people can explore it a little bit more. Maybe we'll come back to it at a future episode.
2: What I'm curious about is when you just describe things as... I mean, maybe I'm being naive, but I've never heard that expression before. Well, well pre- I suppose
3: it's prehistoric, isn't it? Yeah, so it's okay. it's yeah, was it before records. Yes. So okay.
1: it's it's cavemen and 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 people like that. I mean, and depending on what kind of narrative of history that you believe in because there are many different narratives right now because there are ter- alternative forms of history there's there's history mm. saying that we human beings have been around for a lot longer and there may may have been a higher civilization way back then mm. you know akin to what we have now but it got destroyed and we went back kind of to the dark ages and then came, and we're coming back up again who knows what will happen after this pandemic but yeah yeah prehistory is is like people painting in caves i mean maybe They had a COVID virus and had to go and live back in caves back then and started, you know, painting porn on the walls.
2: I've already started.
1: (laughs) Are you having a dirty protest in your flat?
2: A dirty protest? Yes. I think that that's imminent.
1: I think it's imminent for me as well. (laughs) Social distancing dating, is it happening
2: Yes, i done is it, it.
1: How is it for you? I mean, we're all singletons on this show. We're all homos alone. So I'm, but the thing is, that, I mean, social distancing before the pandemic, some dates for me never really happened anyway. And now it's definitely not happening. But what about you two?
2: I've been on two online dates since lockdown with that, the same person. That's amazing.
1: And what mm. happened?
2: Well, we um, decided what we were going to eat for dinner so we both cooked the same thing oh then we um put our videos on at the same time and just sat and ate our food and drank our wine and chatted that's very nice it was very civilized that sounds uh, that sounds lovely
1: i've not got to that point yet i mean people didn't want to go on a date with me before they just wanted to have sex with me so you know i'm not at that point where people want to go on a virtual date um how about you peter
3: well, I had started have a couple of dates just as lockdown was about to happen so I, so and then we have kept in contact, and I think he was quite insistent wanting to come round and I have to say that I'm quite enjoying this uh aspect of getting to know someone without clogging it up with all the physical so um. I quite enjoyed the fact that then there was a lockdown and it said, No, I can't see you, but you're welcome to keep talking to me if you want. So
2: but we haven't
3: gone as far as doing an actual date, so I think I'm gonna steal that idea, Tommy.
2: I mean I really enjoyed it. I think like it it makes I did it on a Sunday night. I to look forward to really at the end of the weekend.
1: Um was there any kind of visual hanky panky or not?
2: I did end up taking my top off.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you do that every time we record. So, I mean, that's de rigueur, right?
2: Well, I'm really cold tonight, so I'm putting things on.
1: Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm 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 missing your midriff.
2: <laughs> but we we were talking about the the uh, immun immunis- I can't say the word immunization. Yeah, and mm. how it's visible on people's um, arms. And I said that I didn't have one that was visible um and so
3: you probably could have just pulled your sleeve up though really couldn't you
2: well i couldn't do it in a jumper could you no that's true
3: yeah i mean you you are you're
1: practically perfect in every way uh tommy so you know
2: flawless yeah absolutely Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) okay
1: well we're going to move on to queens of agony we might pick up this conversation during that because i think one of the questions is related to this But before we do, I'm going to do some inspirational quotes because obviously we're all going through this pandemic. So the quotes are, I can't change the direction of the wind, but I can adjust my sails to always reach my destination. And that's from James Dean. You're never too old to set another goal or to dream another dream. And that's from C.S. Lewis. And try to be a rainbow in someone else's cloud. And
2: that's from Maya Angelou. Lovely. Yes. And so like all the rainbows being painted on the windows.
1: Um that's for the uh Nightingale hospitals, isn't it? Oh,
2: is it? Yes, I think I so oh I thought it was just children do having to something giving them something to do
1: no, they've been well that it is to give children something to do um but it's uh, there was a social media thing about making rainbows for the Nightingale hospitals, which had been set up for covid nineteen and uh, they were sending them mm. in, and, the, and they had to tell them to stop sending them in and just post them on social media or put them in their windows because they were getting too many of them.
2: So the next time that like we're able to go to a pride event and there's all these rainbows happening, do you think people will mistake it and think it's the fundraiser for the Nightingale Hospital? I don't think we're going to. They really, might
3: do.
1: I don't think we're going to allow them to mistake it for that, are we?
3: Well, if they do think it's a fundraiser, we'll just take the money.
1: i mean we need it right
3: well yeah first rule of improv always
1: say yes yes (laughs) (laughs) anyway queens of agony you ready for some questions boys yes yeah okay so dear old queens and peter since miss corona decided to cancel earth and obviously going on a date hooking up with another dude right now would be the stupidest idea ever so how do i express to a guy that i'm genuinely super interested in him without coming across as pushy or annoying
3: well i think just say i'm super interested in you full stop i'm not pushy and annoying <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. you're just, just going to be
1: completely it. out there
3: exactly what you've said to us just just say to him minus the miss corona bit
1: yeah that confused me the miss corona bit
3: yeah yeah i thought miss
1: corona was going on a day
3: yes i was unsure as to who the relationship was between yeah Um, once once it became clear i realized i think just, just just be open and honest and if, and if he finds that annoying, then that's his problem. I mean, everybody
1: kind of understands what's going on right now. So
2: Still a and... lot of people messaging saying, can I come around for a blow or things like that to me. And it's like, it's not very responsible. No, so...
1: totally. But as we mentioned before, when we were talking about like video dates and online dates and things like that, yeah, m- maybe these guys could go on an online date and get to know each other a little bit better you know there's there's nothing wrong with um a bit of video sex either necessarily i mean i know you're you look like you're kind of set up for that peter because you know your bed's kind of quite near your computer right now
3: i i'm um, i'm slightly disturbed you think that i'm on a bed this is a sofa oh is it oh sorry Thank you very much. I mean I can't My see My bed is in the bedroom.
1: I can't see below. It looked like it, you might be in your boudoir.
3: Well, the reason you can't see below is that I am only wearing a shirt, nothing else. So, to preserve the decency, I'm keeping it at this level. Yes, well, uh, I I mean I I I have been asked to do, you know, a little bit of video sex, but I'm I'm not that bothered at the moment. I don't know. The the uh lockdown has had a a a, a numbing effect on the libido shall we say
1: i think it might be the opposite for me
3: really (laughs) are you clawing the walls
1: no not exactly clawing the walls. as i'm an older gentleman you know i'm I'm not as horny as an uh you know a teenager but i am kind of you know after a certain number of weeks i get pon a bit like uh you know mr spock in star trek so if I if I don't have sex after a certain amount of time, I get I climb up the walls a little bit.
2: Yes, I'm the same as you, Bernie. I do find it hard and a bit of a struggle. And yeah, pornography isn't really my thing.
3: I think uh, I'm finding it. It's not that I'm not thinking about sex, but I think. Whenever I would think about it, I would always go to a specific place. I'm going to watch this type of porn. And I think having this lockdown and this uh, not being able to, you know, hook up with people or so forth has in a way sort of has uh, it's sort of it sort of squashed that uh, repetitive, habitual behavior. You know how sometimes I think sex and one's attitude to sex can almost become a little bit more of a habit and more, and, and actually less about being inspired with what you want mm-hmm. to do or, or thinking creatively. You just, you just go to what you know you like. And mm-hmm. so actually having this breather, I think, is, I mean, like, like, like so many aspects of life, we're all in, you know, this is one giant reset and reboot in many ways. And I think I'm possibly having that in terms of emotion, you know, that, sort, that side of life, sexuality and connection and you're
1: also uh-huh. having like online dates with a guy or chats true so chats, you know yes. that's that's kind of nice i mean i spoke to someone the other day and they were they were saying it's unbelievable how many dates and chats you're setting up for after this lockdown is over and i wonder how many of those will come to fruition
3: interesting i'm not sure how many will but then it's hard to know i do feel in a safer interacting now there's a bit more sincerity to it mm.
1: um well it's the end of the with, world right so yeah, people exactly. are like this is the last chance saloon honey <laughs> i did
2: not want to think of it like that
1: no i mean it, it well it probably isn't the end of the world but it feels like it because it's so different from anything that we've experienced before i know
3: and i think i sometimes fear that i might annoy people because i, I do find it all a little bit exciting because it's that combination of what's going on and then the The fact that we are so informed that everyone else on the... It feels like everyone else in the world is in a similar situation, Mm. which is strangely unifying. I mean, you know, there's so much stuff to worry about. And obviously, you know, I I don't want, you know, all the terrible, you know, financial afflictions and and the fears. But I don't know if I'm deluding myself, but I feel like I'm leaning into the optimistic side of it more... Which might be a uh, self-protective way of uh, approaching it all, but... I think it's
1: good to be optimistic. I think we can all take a leaf out of that book. Anyway, shall I move on to the next question? Uh, This is a longer uh, letter, Tommy, so you'll be happy about this. I met this cool dude recently, but quickly discovered he made a fake profile to message me on Grindr relentlessly asking if I wanted to hook up. Based on the name, he forgot to change it initially, but then realised and changed it. He has the same grammatical errors, spelling, misusing the exact same words he does in text. And I set my location to his house and the profile comes up first. I knew it was him. I brought it up and he freaked out, denying it. I actually liked him a lot, but now that I brought this up, and he keeps denying it, I'm not so sure. And now, unfortunately, I look like the insane one. I realise it's unlikely that this person would actually admit to doing this and apologise, so should I just move on?
3: First of all, I just want to say I'm really sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, let's move on. Let's hear what Tommy has to say.
2: I would just say, I think, yeah, you need to move on. I think that, you know, you've given him a chance to go, yeah, I know, I'm really sorry about that. Isn't that the stupid thing I've done? You've given him plenty of time for that. How are you going to... How How is that relationship going to actually develop when you have this, like, unspoken thing? If you just say okay well i'm taking a back seat. i'm not going to contact or have anything to do with you anymore then you're still giving him some chance to come back and say actually listen i did make a stupid mistake and i'm really sorry and then maybe you can reassess it after that but in this in that current situation you know there's no way that that can move forward
1: why why would you and I do think that the... i mean i i find it bizarre that you would actually set up another account and then kind of Stalk the person that you're dating.
2: Well, you, yeah, you, you. Everyone does stupid things, and I think there should be room for uh, admissions of that. But I think that people need to like admit when they do, yeah. And if they then they've got a problem. Definitely. I mean, it's
3: probably fueled by insecurity. Wh- whatever's whatever's fueled it, whatever whatever that is, he's obviously unable to admit. To having done it and i and you can't force someone to admit something mm. that they don't feel ready to fess up to mm. uh, so I, it, you you have to put it in a box shove it away and wait until he approaches you mm. if he does and and apologizes or, or just owns up to what he was doing but i have this image of a very embarrassed person <laughs> yeah thinking I mean, they mean get away with lying
1: <laughs> i think if i had done that i would definitely just say and especially if i really like this guy it'd be like i'm so sorry i've done this because i'm insecure i know it sounds mad but please please don't hate me and then see what happened after that i mean the yeah in any of this the best course is honesty isn't it but if you're on the other side of the coin and now he's the one like he said he's the one who seems like he's nuts (laughs) i mean is there a room for error here Is he nuts? Is he just thinking that this guy has set up an account? Well,
3: is his name Ingrid Bergman? And is he being gaslit? That's what I'm thinking. (laughs)
2: I mean, those, those location settings, if it's on Grindr or something, they're not very exact. No. And a lot of... How old
3: is he? I mean, a, a lot of these millennials are terrible at spelling at the moment, so the grammatical mistakes could simply be from their from the same school.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a bit dyslexic, so, you know, my spelling's not great either.
2: Yeah. I'm terrible at spelling, so it's not just...
1: Anyway, um, I'd say... Give him a chance to fess up. Give it, you know, one last time. And if he doesn't, then move on and then wait for him to come back when he does fess up.
2: Um, yeah. I think all of that thing, though, has to be moved forward, having this knowledge. Unless he admits to it, I, I can't see that it can no. move forward, really. Um, unless it,
1: it, it's somebody else. I mean, it could be somebody else. You know, if you it really like be. this guy, maybe you just... Take the bull by the horns and just carry on with it and see what happens. Or just
2: try and hook up with the with the profile on Grinder. Yeah, that's true. Hook up with the other one. Yeah, <laughs> the other him,
1: <laughs> his evil twin. I mean, you know, we've all got two Grinder profiles, right? Um, okay, maybe not. Um, anyway, let's move on. Uh, dear old Queens, is this a weird psychological reaction to the times we're living in? I don't think I'm worried about the disease that much. I think I will be fine, even if I get it healthy and young. Uh, But I don't have much, live alone and lead a very isolated life and don't have much sex. But now I'm fucking craving cock. (laughs) Do you guys think it's anxiety or is it me wanting what I really can't have right now?
2: Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till, till it's gone. He needs a big yellow
3: taxi. He does
2: need a big yellow taxi.
3: Well, um, I mean, I'm craving a good Negroni in a bar. Um, <laughs> so maybe it is. <laughs> you know, maybe it is.
1: I'm, I'm craving a hug just a hug i don't even care about the sex i just want a
2: hug can we just what was the actual problem though is it just is it normal is that the issue yeah i think it's like he
1: doesn't normally have he doesn't normally he lives alone he doesn't have much he doesn't normally crave having sex with other people but right now he's really craving it because of lockdown
3: i think that is normal i think it's normal to to feel really intense desires for things that you can't have and and maybe you know, maybe his subconscious has lifted that desire that is always there, because he he actually can't act on it. So it's actually quite a it's like a safe way to indulge the craving without doing something that maybe he doesn't really want to do.
2: Yeah, and what would be actually really interesting for him to do is maybe write a letter to himself and tell him his future self about this feeling, and maybe he would give his future self a lesson about. What he wants to do in in the world that emerges after this?
1: Maybe I'm going to be compl- <laughs> complete devil's advocate here. I mean, if this is the end of my life, if I get you know coronavirus and die, the last thing I want to do is spending the last you know few weeks of my life alone in my flat on my own. What about just saying fuck it and having sex with someone?
2: I feel like I feel like we are in the. I feel like we're in the middle of it. And that means that we're going to be coming to an end of it, you know, soon. Like we'll be in the middle of the middle of it soon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like it's developed, like there's a, we, can, we can see a way out of this. So I don't think that's a valid point. No, I haven't had those
3: thoughts either because I think, I do think the end is, well, it's not in sight, but it is, it's out there. And I don't, yeah, I haven't gone to that place yet. It so mean you I believe won't. there's a light
1: at the end of the tunnel i mean but the thing is is that i i wouldn't blame someone if mm. they decided to say i'm just gonna yeah have sex right now i mean i know it's not the right thing to do but i wouldn't blame them for it because <laughs> it's such an odd time for all of us to live through
2: no, I'm, I would- I'm a very unjud- I'm, I'm a unjudgmental person and so i would be the same as you but i'm talking about myself and i feel mm. like yeah i can see i can see ways out of this and i think that there's something that we're thinking about as well like this is not about wanting to have sex but like when you think about films or books they are all about post-apocalyptic times they're yeah. not about, they're not about mid-apocalyptic times <laughs> yeah. what we're in right now
3: yeah because that they yeah the it's 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 you know, by its nature with what we're doing, it's actually not very interesting, is it? Mm. I mean, we're all having our personal struggle. The, the things that are actually coming out as being interesting are hearing about different ways people are connecting with each other, um, the things that people are doing to keep themselves positive and continuing. None of it which would make for a particularly good read.
1: Mm. Well, maybe not, but actually this is an <laughs> excellent time for like an affair to start with someone isn't it? Yes. Uh, you know, because you could meet up outside, you'd be going out for your daily exercise, you, know, you can yes. meet them illicitly. Uh, you, you know, it's an ideal time for like romance stories and things like that. And that's what I was thinking when I went on my daily cycle today. Mm.
3: Well, I think you're right. I think there is something there's something romantic about it, because in this situation, in order to connect to people, you have to start being a little creative if you do really want to see someone. And as soon as you're trying to be creative, a bit romantic. I mean, there was one chap that I had sort of been seeing and he'd he'd stayed over at not like not in a sex way, actually, just uh he'd stayed in the spare room because um, his grandmother was freaking out about coronavirus. And he'd left his toothbrush, so we arranged a drop on Clapham Common, because, of course, that was when it had just been announced. So it, it, it felt like I was a spy you know, going on to Clapham Common to drop this toothbrush for him to pick, to pick up. <laughs> I really enjoyed. I mean, and it's
1: very oh, illicit yeah. right now, isn't it? I mean, any kind of meet with someone outside of yes. your household is so illicit and quite exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can imagine there's going to be a lot of kind of romantic, kind of, even sex stories coming out of this time.
3: Yes. I mean it did make uh, writing a, an erotic story yeah I mean I was I was Just thinking not about not it, hell of it. <laughs> sorry were you thinking about me writing an erotic story
1: I was thinking about <laughs> me writing an erotic story but you know if you want to write one together let's do it
2: there was a story that was passing around all the socials about a woman that was stuck with her least favourite polyamorous boyfriend
1: oh, yes. oh my god I mean there's going to be a lot of those as well right Um. anyway uh, shall we move on to the next question this is our final question dear old queens and peter baker is it common for gay men to not do anal sex so a few months ago i've read somewhere that about 60 percent of gay couples never do anal sex and i can't stop thinking about it it just seems like a lot to me so is it true do many gay men do not do it Is it well accepted that in the community, if you don't want to do it, you don't try it?
2: I thought that was really interesting because he couldn't stop thinking about people not doing it. I know. (laughs)
3: Yes. (laughs) I know, it's interesting.
1: And I can't stop thinking about people doing it.
3: (laughs) It is an interesting question, is it? It's not him trying to seek validation for... Uh, that his feelings of not wanting to do it are right no it's it's, it's more he's he's very curious about the people <laughs> who aren't like, it's almost like he wants to end it with saying are they for real <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i mean, i mean what
2: what do we think about this i don't know what we're responding to i mean <laughs> There's lots of people
1: that don't do anal sex. Yeah, and that's fine. I think there's lots of people that don't do anal sex, and I think it's fine not to do anal sex. And I think we've talked about this on on this podcast before, that you don't, like, uh, gay sex doesn't just mean anal sex. There's plenty of stuff that you can do outside of that if you're not comfortable with
3: it. Yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, kids, be happy with what you like to do and accept those who don't want to do it. Couldn't have said it better myself.
1: It it, it just depends, and uh, but I think people get bogged down with anal, and I think there's so many other things that you can explore. Especially if you, yeah, don't be anal about anal. Uh, you know, just because we're gay men doesn't mean it's all about bum fucking, and there's plenty of other stuff out there. Just explore it.
2: Exactly. Is that an invitation?
1: <laughs> Always anyway on that note i think we've come to the end of our episode unfortunately
3: yes well i think i'm going to um listening to you guys always inspires me to listen to to various music at the end and i think the first thing i'm going to do is look up um I can't remember if they were nineties girl group or two thousands. Cleopatra. Coming atcha. Cleopatra. Coming archer. Cleopatra so coming archer. I'm gonna go and listen to that.
1: Well, it's about whether you say psychopath or psychopath. How about you, Tommy? What are you gonna to listen to after this?
2: I was gonna watch Oh, what are you gonna watch? Is it called The Dance of Reality or something? I don't know. Oh, the Dance of Reality, yeah. It's a film that I watched years ago, and I wasn't in the mood for it. But I'm in right. I'm I'm in the, I'm in really the mood for it now. I've never heard of this film. What is it about? Very beautifully filmed, quite painterly, Chilean, and oh, is it on Mubi? Uh No, but it's the type of film that it would be on Mubi. Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, um, if we're talking about what that old film, can we talk about Sunset Boulevard briefly before we leave?
2: Yeah, because I'm having a great time following the Viral Film Festival on Instagram. And they film, they choose, they curate like three films um, a week for Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. And you all press play at the same time. And then they go to Instagram Live. They're two gay guys, and they're so brilliant and funny and articulate about the way that they talk about. It. And on Saturday night, they chose Sunset Boulevard, which is one of my faves, actually. Already, me too. Um, but I watched it again, and it was just beautiful to know that you were sharing it with loads of people and ask questions at the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's such an amazing film. Uh, it, uh, I mean, it starts off with a corpse in a swimming pool. <laughs> And ends with that. Yeah. I mean, what film during that time period would would have done that? I mean, it's crazy. Uh and it's so camp and you know, I love it. I absolutely love it.
2: I asked what the symbolism of the monkey was.
1: Oh, right, the beginning where the monkey is dead. I mean I mean I mean it always kind of it strikes a chord in modern times because of Michael Jackson, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, did he of- watch sunset boulevard and decide to have cuddles the chimp after you know norma desmond
2: well
3: that's homework for next week
2: viral film festival chose shows films that were related to people that were kind of stuck in their houses um they also showed as well which is a really good one Uh,
1: amazing sunset boulevard is definitely a film for our time (laughs) And I, I certainly feel a bit Norma Desmond myself. How about you?
3: I do look good in a turban.
2: You do, I've seen the pictures. I, what I really like about her is the cigarette holder. It's like, like a wire cigarette holder. Mm, I want one of those.
1: Anyway, that's the end of our show. So we're going to play out now. Say goodbye, Peter. Goodbye. <laughs> Say goodbye, Thank Tommy. You for me. <laughs> goodbye, Pop and Pete. <laughs> goodbye. We'll see you next time on What That Old Queen. You have been listening to What That Old Queen, written and presented by Tom Marshman and Bernie Hodges. The show was produced by Bernie Hodges in spring 2020 for Hodge podcast If you would like to sponsor this show or you'd like to be a guest, or you just have a question for the old queens, you can email at hello at thatoldqueen.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?